All right, namaste and hello. Thank you all for joining us this evening for our webinar on yoga and meditation to manage anxiety and stress during these challenging times. My name is Sheetal Shah and I'm the CFO and Managing Director of the Hindu American Foundation. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Hindu American Foundation, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that works to create a better understanding of Hinduism and Hindu Americans through advocacy. Tonight, we are joined by Eddie Stern. I was introduced to Eddie almost 10 years ago when we were both invited to speak about the Hindu roots of yoga on a panel at Princeton. And I've had the privilege of studying Ashtanga yoga under him ever since then. And whether he is teaching someone a simple sun salutation or telling them to put their leg behind their head, Eddie does it with a great deal of compassion, simplicity, and always a touch of humor. In his very extensive teaching career, his students have ranged from underprivileged inner city children to prison inmates to stars like Madonna and Gwyneth Paltrow. And along the way, he has also developed the breathing app, which hopefully he will discuss this evening, and has also written a truly fantastic book called One Simple Thing. I'm sure that we will all walk away from tonight's webinar with a handful of simple techniques that can aid all of us during this really stressful period and beyond. So before I hand it over to Eddie, I just wanted to note that due to the number of folks on this call, we're going to be holding all questions until the very end. Um, I believe that the raise hand feature and the chat features have both been disabled, but you can submit your questions via the Q&A function, which should be at the bottom of your Zoom screen. And after Eddie is finished speaking, HAF's Executive Director, Suhag Shukla, will moderate the Q&A portion of the webinar. So with that, I will turn it over to Eddie. Thank you very much for your very kind introduction. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you tonight. Um, and as well as your kind introduction, Sheetal, I have the pleasure of having you and also Suhag practicing yoga with me on different occasions. And so you on more than different occasions, but Suhag on occasional occasions. And it's always a pleasure. So namaste, everybody. And thank you for joining us. Um, so as the title of tonight's talk is, is Yoga and Meditation and, and Dealing with Stress and Anxiety in the Times of This Crisis, um, there are a bunch of different things that we'll talk about. And um, the first thing that I'd like to talk about is stress and the stress portion of stress and anxiety. Uh, those two go together. They reflect off of each other. And so the first thing we'll do is we'll talk about the mechanism of stress a little, and then we're going to talk about threat perception, and then we're going to talk about strategies for dealing with stress and also dealing with how we can reframe our perception of stress so that we can grow from whatever the challenges that we're presented with. So the first thing we'll start off with is stress. Um, stress is a word which we're all very familiar with these days. We identify it as being a negative force. The term was coined by a, um, a Canadian-Hungarian endocrinologist named Hans Selyeg, who borrowed the terms from, from physics and said that stress is the body's response to environmental demand. 
and that stress is in fact a, a very neutral force. It's neither good or bad. It's just how our nervous system and body is going to respond to what the environment is putting in front of us. And when the demand on our body is negative, there's too much of a demand and we can't cope with it, then it's called distress. And when it's a positive force and it's something that we're going to grow from, then it's called eustress. So right now, the way that we look at the word stress is we think that all stress is bad for the most part, unless you're an exercise physiologist or a chemist or something like that. But for the general public, we've been trained to think, oh, stress avoided at all costs. So basically, that is where stress has come from today. Hans Selye traveled around the world and he had the word stress included and managed to get it included in almost every dictionary in every different language around the world as the word stress. So if you go to Spain, the word stress in the dictionary in Spanish is going to be stress with a Spanish accent. And the same is true in Chinese and in multiple languages around the world. And that was one of his life's goals to say this is something that we all experience. So let's have a common, common word for it. That's an amazing thing that he did. Um, he was actually lost a lot of credibility in the science world because he engaged with the lay public. And, you know, scientists usually talk to scientists. They don't engage with the lay public. So he lost credibility. And much later on, his teachings, they began to gain steam. And right now they're coming a full circle um, with the yoga communities as well. So within the um, nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, we have two basic branches. We have the sympathetic nervous system and we have the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, the autonomic nervous system, for those who aren't familiar, is that part of our nervous system which is performing all the functions that need to be carried out so that we can stay alive without having to think about them. And these include breathing, heart rate, blood pressure, sleep, digestion, elimination, and um, reproduction in terms of actually growing the baby and uh, body temperature as well. So these are some of the things that are going to be controlled by our autonomic nervous system. When it got, gets hot out, our body knows to release heat by sweating. We don't have to think about it. When the sun sets, it, our body says it's time to go to sleep. We don't have to think about it. When we're eating food, we digest it. We don't have to think about it. When we're breathing throughout the day, we don't have to think about it. If we did, we wouldn't be able to do anything like eat or sleep, or any of those other things, because we'd be busy trying to remember, remember, remember to breathe. So autonomic nervous system keeps all of our survival functions happening so that we can do particularly that, so we can survive. Now, one of the things that has happened in these many tens of thousands of years, almost 100,000 years, or at least 70,000 years of human development, is that we've developed a nervous system that has allowed us to stay alive, not only through survival functions, but through avoiding dangerous situations that could lead to our demise. Now, single-cell amoebas have this too. Multicellular organisms have this. Animals have this. And, and humans have this. And this is what we call threat perception, um, that we naturally will move away from danger, we'll move towards safety, we will move towards nourishment, we move away from the things that are going to threaten our existence. And you see this behavior in single-celled organisms as well. Um, and so with the development of our ability to perceive threat and then protect ourselves from, from threat, develop something called the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system has a, a whole host of 
operations that it oversees. Um, anything that moves us towards activity is going to be driven by the sympathetic nervous system. Um, if we stand up to walk across the room to get a cup of tea or a glass of water, our nervous system, sympathetic nerves are being recruited to give us the, to release the kind of hormones and chemicals we need to perform that activity. Um, when the sympathetic nervous system goes into hyperarousal, which means it has too much input, then what happens is we move into what is called fight or flight. So the way that most people think of the sympathetic nervous system, and you hear it spoken about even in, in, um, in science textbooks in high schools, is that the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight response. And it is, but only when we're in hyperarousal. But there are a lot of things that occur with the sympathetic nervous system that are basic things, like inhaling. So our inhale is associated with the sympathetic nervous system. Our exhale is associated with parasympathetic. When we move too much towards the sympathetic response, it turns into fight or flight, and this is threat perception. Now, one of the things that happens is that our body doesn't distinguish between a real threat, which we're perceiving, and a threat that we imagine. So we don't see the distinction between a perceived threat and, um, or a real threat and an imagined threat, a perceived threat. If there is a true danger, which is lurking out there, um, and we need to protect ourselves, we will have the sympathetic nervous system will release the adrenaline and cortisol, all the things we need, so we can run away from it. But if we imagine a, a threat is present, our body does the same type of a thing. So if you, get, if you have an email coming into your inbox and you just know that it's from someone you've had a conflict with and you immediately start to, you immediately imagine, oh man, what's going to be in the email? It's going to be more of the same. We're going to have this huge argument, blah, 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 blah. Um, your nervous system re releases the same stress hormones that it does if you're faced from running from a bear in the forest. Maybe not as extreme, but sometimes it does do that. So we have this thing built into us that whenever we perceive a threat, we believe that it's real, our body releases stress hormones, and then we have to deal with the repercussions of that. So right now we're in a, a very real world situation where there is a crisis, a, a massive crisis striking the entire globe. And this is a very real threat that we need to perceive, but we only need to perceive it as a threat as much as it puts us in danger. So, for example, if we are self-isolating and we're washing our hands every 20 minutes and we're not engaging in contact with people who are sick um, and we're not in close confined quarters with, for people for 15 or 30 minutes who might be infected, um, if we're doing all the things that the CDC and the WHO and Dr. Fauci and everyone is telling us to do, if we follow those things, then we don't have to worry because we're going to be safe if we follow all those things and we are isolating. Um, but what happens with some people is they'll do all those things and they'll still feel afraid that something is out there that's going to get them. That even in the safety of your own sanitized, clean home where no one's going outside and you're not having contact with anyone in the outside world, that still somehow some coronaviruses are going to, you know, filter all the way up to your 13th floor apartment, which is where we live. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to touch your doorknob and you're going to get sick, but that's not going to happen if all of the right things are being followed. Okay. So uh, in fact, this uh, video by Dr. David Price, which is going around with right now that you can watch, um, has made a lot of people feel really good about 
how the disease is actually transmitted and what you can do to protect yourself. And if you watch that, you might, and you're nervous about all this, you might feel a lot better about uh, the things that are going to keep you safe. So this is a very good thing to do because it will help reframe your perception of the danger that you might be in from this virus. And when you reframe your perception, what happens is your sympathetic nervous system, which has been on very high alert and perceiving a threat everywhere, is going to begin to downregulate itself. And when it begins to downregulate itself, the parasympathetic nervous system is going to upregulate. Now, what is the parasympathetic nervous system? Parasympathetic nervous system is 80% your vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve that comes down from below the brainstem, at the brainstem behind the ears. It comes through the throat and through the trachea. Uh, It comes down to your heart, to your lungs, to your liver, to your pancreas, to the stomach, and to the intestines. And it's constantly sending messages from the visceral body up to the brain to tell the brain, what the condition of the visceral body is. Um, It's connected to the diaphragm. It's connected to the throat for vocal expression, the face for facial expression, and the inner ear for hearing. Now, one of the reasons why the vagus nerve is so important in the whole threat perception thing has to do with your diaphragm. So when you are presented with a threat, you get a big fright. What happens is a signal is sent through the abdominal viscera to the diaphragm to protect yourself. And the diaphragm will freeze or go into a short spasm or just get a little bit of a shock. It will constrict itself. And then it can get locked into that pattern. And then it sends a message from the diaphragm through the vagus nerves up to the brain saying danger. You have to protect yourself. Something's not quite right. And If you pass the danger, this all fades from your system. But if you repeatedly expose yourself to to a real danger, even the mental idea of it, the diaphragm stays locked in this pattern. It throws off your breathing and it continues to send danger signals to the brain. So what we want to do is we want to downregulate that whole mechanism by smoothing out the breathing and engaging the vagus nerve to come back into its dominant position where it needs to be. So what happens when the sympathetic nervous system is in high alert, you have are releasing adrenaline and cortisol and your body begins to uh, turn into, uh, uh, it becomes inflamed through the inflammatory nature of these stress hormones. And inflammation is responsible for exacerbating anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, certain types of diabetes, certain cancers, and digestive disorders. So these are 95% of the non-communicable diseases that we have in society today that can be prevented through lifestyle, diet, sleep, habit, exercise, yoga, meditation. So inflammation, when there's too much of it, when it's chronic, which is what stress is, acute stress is chronic inflammation, leads to chronic inflammation in the body, leads to all these problems. And one of the main problems we're experiencing today through our chronic inflammation, uh, through the stress response, is anxiety. Anxiety about the state of the world. You know, what's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my life? to my ability to take care of my family? What's going to happen to my business when, you know, during these next few months when we're in a lockdown? What's going to happen to all the people who are, who are dying in the world and their families or healthcare or the political structures? We a lot of worries and a lot of anxiety, and it's natural for this to arise. Um, 
So the parasympathetic nervous system in the opposite side of that, not in opposition, but the opposite side is the parasympathetic nervous system, when it begins to upregulate, um, has the qualities of repair, restoration, relaxation, rest, and digestion. So repair of the cellular body, repair of tissues, the restoration of homeostasis and our ability to return back to our center point of balance, um, digestion, which gets thrown off through anxiety, um, improvement of sleep, and a whole host of other functions that have to do with what happens when the relaxation response becomes dominant, becomes, becomes more present in our waking day. Okay, so here's the, here's the basic thing. Stress, too much of it becomes overwhelming. That stress turns into um, anxiety or fear. The anxiety or fear then turns into panic. And the panic then turns into irrational behavior. And that's the cycle that we see occurring right here today. That um, we have a natural response of uh, this is a stressful time we're going through. And then anxiety or fear arises. When that keeps on repeating and repeating, it turns into fear. And then the fear turns into irrational behavior, which causes you to stockpile toilet paper, to stockpile and hoard resources, to buy up all of the medical grade masks that are on the market rather than letting them you know, be used by the hospitals who need them and all these types of things. Okay, so what do we want to do? Um, well, we want to begin to slow all this down. We want to begin to downregulate, to pause. Uh, the, the easiest thing to do is to do breathing practices because through breathing practices, especially where we lengthen the exhale, we are going to be stimulating the vagal break. And the vagal break is that part of the vagus nerve, which is slowing everything down on the exhale and down-regulating sympathetic. So if you imagine your sympathetic nervous system is like an accelerator and your parasympathetic is like a break. When our sympathetic nervous system is turned on to a high degree, it's like the accelerator is pressed down. And now what we need to do is we need to improve our braking mechanism. And so the braking mechanism is the exhale and the conscious breathing. And that bypasses the entire thing. Okay? So what we're going to do now is we're going to do a simple breathing practice to hopefully give you a sense of what it feels like to have your diaphragm move um, and breathe slowly. And we're also going to slowly begin to lengthen the exhale through this breathing practice so that you can begin to downregulate the, the sympathetic, upregulate the parasympathetic. Okay? Now, I, I just want to add in one more thing that uh, the question arises a lot like, when I'm in a panic, what can I do? You know, when things are going crazy, what can I do? And if you don't have the tools already in your toolbox to manage extreme stress when it arises, then there's not much you can do at the moment, frankly. What you need to do is you need to develop a practice. And you need to develop a practice that you do a little bit every day so that when you need those tools, they are there for you. That is the purpose of practice, that you practice outside of a crisis situation. So when you're in a crisis, even a small one, like an email or a crying baby or, you know, exhaustion from too many sleepless nights, that you have the tools ready for you to draw on. 
And that's what any professional person does in the world. Firemen and firewomen practice outside of a fire. They don't say, hey, let's run into a fire and see you know, how we can put it out. You practice beforehand. Doctors and police officers, school teachers, any, any professional level, you know, politicians, what they do is they're supposed to prepare for a crisis so that they can deal with it. And what we do within yoga and meditation is we prepare for, for crises every day, but they're not things like burning buildings or people that we need to arrest or doing you know, surgery for regular people you know, like the general public. The crises that we're preparing for are mental and emotional ones. What happens when my emotions run away from me and I get angry or I'm, I get depressed or I feel a tremendous shame towards myself or I feel jealousy? or any of these things. So what happens when I have a mental crisis where I have extreme doubt? Um, you know, these are the things that we need our practice prepared for to support us. The simple little things, mental health, emotional health, physical health. What happens if something goes wrong in my body? How am I going to deal with it? And so in um, the yoga tradition, there's a particular word for this, and this is called tapas. And tapas is where you intentionally expose yourself to some type of a hardship, to challenge yourself so that you can grow. And so what happens with tapas in the Vedic tradition, tapas is, a, is an integral part of the Vedas. You see it all over the Vedas. Tapas, ritam, and satyam. Tapas is the heat of practice. And, and as yogis or practitioners, what we do is we intentionally expose ourselves to some hardship to keep an even mind. So within this tapas, there's the idea that life is always going to have its ups and downs. Life is always going to be difficult, but we can develop a state of mind so we can deal with that difficulty as it arises and not be completely thrown off. And if one day we are, the next day we try again. Ritam is the cosmic order. There is some order in the cosmos holding things together. Otherwise, the planets would just fly off and smash into each other, and the Earth would just be spinning willy-nilly on its axis without any order. But there's a cosmic order, um, and we are part of that cosmic order, and that's Ritam. And then the Satyam is an expression of Ritam as existence, as being. So Tapas is the, the, the pressure or the heat that leads to manifestation. And then Ritam is the cosmic order that it's existing within. And then Satyam is the beingness that is expressed through cosmic order, which also manifests in us as truth or as honesty. And within honesty, the thing which ties that all together back into stress perception and back into the need for practice is that little by little, we can become more honest about our state of mind. And that means the acknowledgement Am I feeling fear? Am I feeling anxiety? Um, am I being arrogant about this disease or any other problem and being foolhardy with my behavior? So all of these things can be noticed as we develop a mind which is filled with satyam or honesty or truth or a sense of being in harmony with whatever is happening. So at the final point, that's what we need to be. We need to be in harmony with whatever is happening and then respond appropriately because we have become level-headed through our practices. Okay, so let's do a little practice. Um, sit comfortably in a chair 
or on the floor. You don't have to sit ramrod straight. You can just be seated comfortably. You can close your eyes or keep them open. Um, you can put your tea or, or wine off to the side and rest your hands on the knees and just breathe slowly through your nose, inhaling and exhaling. And let the breath go wherever it goes. Maybe you feel the breath is going into your ribs, into the chest. Maybe you feel it's going into the belly. Maybe you feel the breath is tight. Maybe you feel the breath is fluid. And the breathing through the nose is important because as you breathe through the nose, you release nitric oxide, which is helpful for killing harmful bacteria. And as well, you stimulate deep receptors near the olfactory nerves, which are related to relaxation and memory. So let's everyone just bring your hands to rest over your belly if that's comfortable for you. And feel the belly gently come out a little as you inhale. And gently move in a little as you exhale. And again, it gently comes out as you inhale. And gently comes in as you exhale. And now we're going to inhale to a count of four. And pause for a moment. And we're going to try to exhale to a count of five or six. Inhale to a count of four. Pause. Exhale to a count of six. And the belly comes in. Inhale to a count of four. And then slowly exhale to a count of six. Do that one more time. Inhale through the nose to a count of four. Pause, and then exhale slowly to a count of six. Okay, so now we're going to do that same breathing pattern. I'm going to move my camera down slightly, and I'm going to move my hands right onto my waist. And then from my waist, I'm going to move my hands slightly up onto my lower ribs. If this is completely uncomfortable for you, just try putting your hands on your lower ribs like this. But if you can, keep your fingers forward and keep your thumbs a little bit in the back of your body so you can feel your thumbs pressing to your back ribs a little. Best you can. And now as you breathe, you're going to imagine your lower ribs are like the two wings of a bird. And you're going to breathe out into the palms of your hands pushing your ribs into your palms. And when you exhale, you're going to gently squeeze the ribs back in, pushing your palms gently on the sides of the body. Inhale out into your lower ribs, like you're breathing into the bottom of your lungs. Exhale, slowly let the ribs come back in. Okay, we'll do this for about a minute or so. Inhale into your lower ribs and let the lower ribs expand out to the side like wings of a bird. And as you exhale, let the ribs slowly come back in. 
Okay, so just see if you can get a sense of that movement of the ribs. Inhale in to four. And then exhaling slowly to six. If your hips are slightly tucked under, sometimes it helps to feel the motion of the ribs. Almost like you're slouching back in your chair a little. Breathing smoothly through the nose, inhaling. And exhaling to six. Okay, rest the hands on the knees, close the eyes, with the hands in the lap. Breathe a slow inhale. Feel any change in your ribs now as you breathe. And a slow exhale. One more time, a slow inhale. And as you exhale, feel a settling in. One more time, just a natural inhale. And as you exhale, feel the settling inward with the mind. And if you feel any sense of quiet, feel that you're absorbing that quiet into your cellular body, like soaking up liquid into a sponge. So you're soaking into your cells, the peace and quiet, like a sponge. Okay, and so let's open the eyes. Okay, so this is a very simple breathing practice where you are inhaling for four and pausing for two and exhaling for six. And the cycle of six means you're breathing for five breaths per minute. And breathing at five breaths per minute is something called resonance frequency. It's very good for your heart rate variability. Um, it's good for blood pressure. It's good when it's done for extended periods of time, like 10 or 15 minutes a day, for also lowering um, anxiety and depression. Uh, and it's also helpful for sleep because the extension of the exhale, a little bit longer than the inhale, is strengthening the vagal break, down-regulating the sympathetic nervous system, and up-regulating parasympathetic. Um, Action. Um, we have the, um, the prefrontal cortex is more online and we have better feelings of safety, contentment, and social connection. Okay, so just to sum up everything we talked about, um, the first thing we talked about stress is a neutral force. When we have, it's uh, the, the way that our body responds to environmental demands. Too much stress, called distress. Positive stress that makes us grow is called eustress. Um, next, we talked about threat perception, which is what we do, and that's how we've survived for a long time, and how we can manage threat perception by seeing and evaluating what is truly a threat and what is not a threat. Um, we talked about the sympathetic nervous system moving us when it's in hyperarousal towards perceiving threat everywhere, when it's downregulated, the parasympathetic, which is repair and restoration, will make us feel greater degrees of safety, contentment, and connection, as well as cellular repair and better sleep. And then we did a breathing practice. And so the last thing that we needed to cover, which I'll do very quickly, is this idea of reframing what um, stress is. And if we think that stress 
is not a bad thing, but stress is something which is good for us. It challenges us. It helps us to grow. Then we can begin to little by little reframe the stressors that we have in our life and, and look at them going, I can handle this. I can manage this. I have the tools to do this. And when there's too much coming in, we'll also have the sense of mind because we have a healthy nervous system and strong um, resiliency, the ability to bounce back to our center point to say, okay, you know what? This is enough for now. I'm going to put this stress aside for later and deal with it when I have the reserves to do to. And that means the capacity to say no when you need to say no. Okay, so reframe stress and everything flows a lot better. Thank you so much, Eddie, for that very comprehensive overview of stress and um, how it affects our body. So we some questions are coming in. So I'm just going to jump into it so we can get to as many as possible. Um, first question is, how can we calm ourselves as healthcare workers um, who are working without protective gear? Lack of supplies and high demand has an entire system that's under pressure. How can we use meditation and yoga under these types of circumstances? Okay. So, um, first of all, like, you know, there's so many people in this country, our heart really goes out to the healthcare workers who are working in extremely dangerous conditions without protective gear. Um, and, uh, so, you know, actually I just want to say, I have a friend who runs a, um, a big clothing, um, uh, uh, whatever factory and they're making about 20,000 masks right now. So if you know anyone who actually needs masks, um, you can let me know and I can put you in touch with her people because they're putting together they're, they've turned all from clothing production to mask production. And so we're happy to help out that way. Um, we, um, uh, I, I have a, an app called the breathing app. It's a free app on, Android and on iOS. And all it does is it guides you in the breathing practice that we just did. And you can do it for one minute. You can set it to do it for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And it just helps. All it does is it reboots the, um, the, you know, the body's ability to restore balance of homeostasis. And it's been scientifically shown that this particular breathing rate um, improves heart rate variability, um, that it Im improves the slow cortical function of the glial cells in the brain to support homeostasis of the brain. It um, has a host, of, it lowers blood pressure, it does really amazing things. Um, and it also brings the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system into an equilibrium. So it, it acts as a reset button for the autonomic nervous system. So all these things have been shown, and uh, there's a lot of studies on PubMed that you can find about this. Um, and that's why we made this app, because it's all verified by science. Um, so this is a simple tool that you can use when you need it. Um, this is not your question, but a question has come up from people like, oh, can I do meditation or breathing or yoga to help protect me from the coronavirus? And the obvious answer to that is no. Um, you can't. The only thing you can do to protect yourself from the coronavirus is not be in conditions where you can catch it. Um, but what you can do is you can do yoga, meditation, and breathing to keep your body healthy, to keep your mind and emotions healthy, um, so that you um, are better situated to deal with crisis and to deal with, with the onslaught of stress that's 
that's going to be coming your way as a healthcare worker. So if you can find any moments of the day, even a minute here or there, where you can take a breathing break, where you can take a pause, <coughs> excuse me, that um, maybe that might be help, helpful. And you don't have to do a lot. You don't have to do two hours a day. You could do a minute here and a minute there or find a hospital who needs to also chill with you and you can breathe together. Um, you know, in, in a clean environment, you know, maybe outside uh, and use the app for a couple minutes like that. And there are a lot of meditation apps that you can use also. But the thing that I like about the breathing app, not just because I made it, but that I like about it, is that um, the breath is much quicker to downregulate the sympathetic nervous system than focused attention or awareness until you become very trained. A trained meditator can control their, their stress response just through the mind or someone with a very strong mind. But for normal people like us who have a lot coming at us, the breath is much quicker than the mind. It bypasses the mind a little. So I'd say breathing practices might be a good thing. And I hope that answers your question. If it doesn't, then you can always get my email from Sheetal or Suhag and I'm happy to talk more Thanks, about Eddie. it. I, I will say that I um, have a 10 minute practice with your breathing app and it has helped me um, with my reactivity to the way that I, I, I respond as opposed to react um, to stressful situations. So I will put a plug in um, for the app as well. Here's another question. Um, what are, I'm sorry, if I could just chime in really quickly, it seems like there are a lot of questions about your app. I don't think people quite realize it is actually called the breathing app. I'm searching for it. It is actually called the breathing app. There were just a number of questions about that. And, uh, and yeah, a, a tip, a tip for all of you out there. If you ever develop an app, don't give it a descriptive name. Uh, and so the breathing app in my name is associated with it. Well, my full name, Edwin Stern will be underneath it. So that's one you look for. There are a few copycat apps out there also. Don't get those. We'll, we'll also send out a link to all the participants to make it easier. Right. Um, so here's another question. What are the ideal times to practice breathing exercises? Is it better to practice in the morning or at night? It really doesn't make a difference. Whenever you have enough time in your day is when you should practice. Um, and if you're able to do it in the morning, it's nice because it sets you up for the day. And if you do it in the evening, it's nice because it clears all the stuff out from the day that happened. Um, so if you can only do it once a day, pick whichever time fits in better to your schedule and, and stick with it. Make it a habit. Make it a ritual. So that's always the time that you do it. Then your body will become used to doing it at that time. And once you're habituated in that way, you'll always be doing it. But if you switch back and forth between the morning and evening, you're going to be more likely to skip days or skip weeks here. Okay. So one interesting thing is that we've had an, uh, we have a webinar on yoga and we haven't talked about asana, which is probably the most uh, common association with yoga. So um, how does asana fit into stress management? Okay. So, um, you know, asanas, of course, are, are very important because the place where we feel stress is in our body. Well, some of the things that you feel when you're stressed out is you get back pain or you get neck pain or your muscles feel tight. Um, or, or if you're getting angry, your body gets high or you're trembling sometimes, you feel heat in the body. So the place where we feel stress or feel any emotions 
is in our body. So through working with the body and stretching and moving and twisting and wringing ourselves out, we are actually releasing the sensation of stress, anxiety, or other feelings that are being collected and held in our body. Um, so that's why it's very helpful to, uh, under stressful or anxious times to do some exercise, to do some yoga, because you'll help to wring those things out from your body. Um, and when you combine breathing along with the movement you're doing, it becomes a little bit more powerful because then you are integrating the functioning of your central nervous system with the functions of your peripheral nervous system, which are helping to control body movements, um, as well as the somatic. So you're integrating your somatic nervous system along with the autonomic nervous system, and there's a much greater communication happening between the, the body and the nervous system. One other way of looking at this, and this is a really nice way of looking at it, is um, when it comes to brain function, we have information which is sent from the brain stem to the higher levels of the brain, and then information from the higher levels of the brain sent back down to the brain stem and then distributed to the body. So the things that are occurring in the brain stem are all of our autonomic functions, respiration, heart rate, sleep, digestion, etc. And when one of those is thrown off, say the breathing is compromised, it's going to send a message up to the through the limbic system where we experience fear and emotions and things like that up to the cortical regions where we're going to say, hey, something's wrong. You need to worry about this. You need to pay attention. You need to stop. Um, and um, so and then in the same way, we might um, experience something, have a thought about something, which is a frightening thought or an upsetting thought, even if we imagine it. It sends a message down to the limbic system which is, hey, you should, you should be worried and be afraid. And then that sends a message to the brainstem that says, um, stop breathing, hold your breath, you know, make your heart speed and go really fast. So this is bottom up and top down information processing. So the thing which is powerful about practicing asanas and breathing is that we are changing the signaling from the brainstem up to the cortical regions and we're creating this bottom-up processing of clarity and of health and all the messages that of rhythmicity, like evenness of breath and evenness of body sends a message of safety and rhythmicity and evenness and balance from the brainstem up to the higher level. So your higher level of brain functioning feels balanced as well. And at the same time, we also have the, the awareness of how I'm placing my body, where I'm fixing my mind, how I'm going to focus. And then that sends messages from the upper part of the brain down to the brainstem saying, hey, everything's regular. You can slow down. So through yoga and breathing, we have information processing bottom up. And from meditation and awareness, we have top down. So this is fully integrated through the whole body, brain, nervous system, emotions, awareness, um, uh, physiology, and it's very complete. And this is why one of the reasons why yoga is so appealing to so many people, because we have this processing happening in both directions. And um, you know, if you're only doing meditation, it's mainly going to be um, top-down information processing, still very effective. But when you add yoga and movement into it with conscious breathing, then you're getting both directions and it becomes very balanced. And we found with all the work that we've done in schools that mindfulness for kids only works a little bit. But when you do 
um, movement along with the mindfulness, then things really start to behave, change for behavior and for incidences of acting out. So, um, so th- that leads into another question. You know, there's uh, people are at home and while their schedules have been freed up because they may not be commuting to work or um, traveling, their social engagements have reduced that space or that's opened up has been filled in maybe with helping children navigate online school or taking care of elderly parents, et cetera. So time remains elusive. So what would you re- recommend as a bare minimum asana and breath practice? Well, um, a bare minimum for asanas, you could do some salutations. If you know how to do those, those will give you an entire full body workout in 10 minutes, any type of sun salutation um, for, you know, five to 10 minutes and then sit down and do the resonance breathing for two or three minutes. And within 15 minutes, you can be done and feel pretty good, Um, especially if you're really focused on what you're doing while you're doing it. So if you say, I'm going to really focus deeply and intensely for these next 12 to 15 minutes, a few sun salutations, some deep breathing, sit quietly for a minute refocus, reframe, and then you're ready for your day. And um, the main thing is to do all these things with awareness. So when we say focus, it's really, you know, do these things with awareness and eventually become aware of the awareness um, that, that is performing all of these actions. And then you never get lost. So if when we're aware of, the, of our inner awareness, then we don't get lost in the awareness of stress, the awareness of anxiety, and, and, and then our own ability to be grounded in us gets lost in all the changing forms. So ideally, you know, yoga is about becoming aware of awareness and existing within that, with that, within that experience, just the experience of, of awareness. Because during the day, we're, we're not aware of that. We're in vritti, sarupyam, itaratra. We're mixed up into all the, the movements and changing forms of the mind. Um, and so the time when we practice, practice yoga is to remember I'm going to unmix myself from identification with all the variety, the myriad of thoughts that are occurring in my mind, and I'm just going to become aware of, of being, aware of, uh, of awareness is, is how it would. And so that's what yoga is for. Uh, everything else is a byproduct. 15 minutes seems very doable. So I think that's, that's helpful for a lot of people. Here's another question. How can this practice be adjusted if one has uh, a non-critical cold or flu or respiratory infection and resulting cough? Or should one abstain until the cold is better? Oh, so, you know, generally speaking, um, if you have a serious medical problem, then talk to your doctor about what you can do. And um, I, I would hesitate to answer that kind of question. Uh, I would say that if you're tired, you need to rest. Don't try to do asanas. Don't even really try to do deep breathing. Um, but you can always do like body scans. And, um, uh, you know, uh, my wife Jocelyn is a meditation teacher and she teaches all types of forgiveness practices and loving kindness practices, um, body scan practices. And all of these things are things that you can definitely do without making your body more tired. But if you are sick, especially if you have a respiratory disease, um, you're going to need your reserves and you don't want to, you know, use up your energy by trying to do any deep breathing or things like that. So rest, sleep, 
Um, when you can, you can do some open awareness type meditation practices and, um, and don't deplete your energy that you need for healing um, by doing anything excessive is my uh, advice. Um, here's a question, another question um, related to tapas. It's asking for you to review what you said earlier. Can you explain again how tapas, hridayam, and satyam relate to the breathing exercises? Okay, tapas, ritam and septum relate to the breathing exercises. Rhythm, sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, so, um, well, I mean, on a very, um, on a very macro level, you know, we have as above, so below, as in the cosmic egg, the Brahmanda, so in the individual egg, the Pindanda. So uh, on a macro level, the breathing practices are to bring ourselves in alignment with the cosmic breath. So in, in the Nasadiya Sukta and other suktas, it speaks about um, that one who preceded existence breathed within himself without a breath, and then the universe came into existence. In other places, it says that when the universe manifested, it manifested basically uh, you know, on, on an inhale. And um, so pranayama on a macro scale is to bring ourselves in alignment with the cosmic breath. Um, and so one of the things that that means, I hope I don't go too much off topic here, um, is that um, we, um, you know, we live in a biosphere. We live on a planet which has an atmosphere and it has a, you know, a thin um, protective layering around it. And we live within that. And it's only within this thin protective layer that we have things like oxygen and we have water. And we have the atmosphere that we live in. And so all the cycles of the water cycle and the air cycle and the cycle of nature and the changing of time and seasons and all that occurs only within our biosphere. It doesn't occur anywhere else in the universe. It only occurs in this biosphere that we know of right now. Um, and one of the, um, one of the, uh, the facts of our biosphere is atmospheric pressure. And, and, and also gravity. So we're standing on the earth because of gravity and atmospheric pressure is doing a very particular thing, which is when we are born, our lungs have never been exposed to air before, never been exposed to oxygen. And as soon as we're born, the first breath that we take is about 500 times more powerful than any breath we'll take during our lives, um, uh, except for perhaps our last breath when we leave from this body. And um, so how do we take that breath? Do we come out and say, hey, I'm ready to breathe. Let's, you know, I'm going to take an inhale. No. What happens is the atmosphere, nature abhors a vacuum. And so because our lungs are in a vacuum state, the atmospheric pressure forces a breath into our lungs. And then our lungs continually respond to atmospheric pressure for the rest of our lives. And we are in a constant symbiotic relationship with the atmosphere through breathing. And we think it's our breath, but it's not. The atmosphere is breathing us. Nature is breathing us. And when we don't get in the way of that, then it can happen very, very freely. But when we do get in the way with it, or we're stressed out, or we're anxious, or anything occurs that makes us catch in our diaphragm, then, um, you know, then we throw ourselves out from the rhythm of nature. 
So when we talk about living in tune with Ritam or the cosmic order, one of the ways we do that is we live within the cosmic order of nature and our biosphere, which is our planet. So live within in harmony with the cosmic order of our breath, you know, or of being breathed, of how nature is breathing us. And so that's one way that um, that we align ourselves with cosmic order from a Vedic perspective. And um, the, with a little bit of science thrown in on top of it. And, uh, and so, and basically how tapas fits into that is that tapas as practice and is the, um, the exposure to, um, to hardship and challenge without getting thrown off about of it and transformation is that those things take practice to do. They don't come easily. It, it takes repeated effort and repeated effort is basically part of tapas. I love the way you talk about nature breathing us because we've we've really been given a stark reminder. It's it's the reality, but it's so easy to forget and take for granted. And I, I think that this global pandemic has definitely served as a reminder of our interconnectedness, not just with one another, but with the planet as well. So here's another question. Um, what if you start to feel anxious during your breathing exercises? That happens. Um, and when you start to feel anxious during your breathing exercises, you should stop and you should pause, you should lie down and rest or get off your mat and take a walk and then try again the next day. Um, if you always feel anxious during it, then you might not be doing them right. And then you might need to seek some guidance and ask someone, Hey, am I doing this right? Or, you know, it keeps making me anxious. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And so this is where a teacher can come in handy sometimes. You know, apps and videos are good, but they don't give us feedback. Um, and at a certain point, we, when something's not working, we need feedback. So seek out a teacher if, if it keeps happening. Um, I'm going to, we have time for a couple more questions. So uh, we've talked a lot about breathing. Someone's asking about mantra or om in helping with meditation. So in answering that, if you could also answer, is there a difference between a breathing practice and a meditation practice? And if there is a difference, what is that? Okay. So there are meditation practices that involve breathing. For example, the, um, the Buddhist practice of just observing the breath. And um, I think it's called Anapata Anapati Sati or Anapata Sati, where, um, and I believe the instructions for, from the Buddha on this, so I'd have to ask my wife about this, is that when you inhale a long breath, you know you're inhaling a long breath. When you exhale a long breath, you know you're exhaling a long breath. When you inhale a short breath, you know you're inhaling a short breath. When you exhale a short breath, you know you're exhaling a short breath. So this is just simple breath observation, which is quite difficult to do because as soon as you start observing your breath, which is used to being an autonomic function, it changes. And then you start to make it into something it's not. So um, there are a lot of meditations that use the breath and there are other meditations that focus on other things, um, qualities, ideas, um, open monitoring meditation where you just observe whatever arises, um, focused awareness meditations where you focus on a mantra um, or focus on aligning the mantra with the breath. And then there are some meditations where you use a mantra and you breathe at the same time. Um, inhaling so, exhaling hum, inhaling so, exhaling hum. So there's a, there's a whole host of things. But basically, 
The idea behind meditation is that you're doing something with your mind to selectively begin to eliminate or allow it to fall away all of the thoughts other than the one that you want to be holding in the field of your awareness. Um, and for some people that happens with breath, for some people it happens with mantra, for some people it happens in, in other situations in movement practices. But ideally, according to Patanjali, yoga is the nirodaha of the vrittis in the field of chitta, the gradual elimination or falling away or stoppage of the movements, the vrittis, the fluctuations, the activities in the field of the mind. And you selectively choose which activity you want to be there and hold only that activity. And that activity might be the chanting of Om. It might be the chanting of Sridam, Jadam, Jajadam. It might be the activity of only meditating on love or on forgiveness, um, compassion practices. So any of those things, depending on the adhikara of the sadhaka, depending on the eligibility um, of the practitioner. And that's going to vary from person to person, which is why there are so many different types of meditations. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to, we have two minutes left, so I'm going to uh, ask the two last questions and you can just answer them. And then um, we know that you get up very early in the morning, so I don't want to keep you away from that uh, enough rest. So the first question that's come from several people is, is there an ideal position to do the breathing exercises? Can you do them laying down? Should you be sitting up? The second question is, please share strategies, and I think this is a, a nice way uh, to end our conversation today, is please share strategies for reframing thoughts to focus on the positive. Okay, so um, the, um, what was the first question again? Ideal position. Oh, ideal pos uh, thank you. Um, so <laughs> position, yes, you can lie on your back, you can sit in a chair, you can sit up straight. Uh, any of these for gentle breathing practices, any of those will be okay. If you're dealing with anxiety or stress, you don't want to put yourself in a stressful position when you're breathing. You want to be a little bit calm, a little relaxed. So um, if eventually you can sit up comfortably on the floor in any yoga position, that's good. But um, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I sit in, in my chair right here every morning when I meditate. I'm comfortable in the chair to, to sit and meditate. I sit cross-legged, but I like being in my chair. Um, plus, it was a Father's Day present, so I'm attached. <laughs> uh, and um, then, okay, so how can you reframe stress so you can have a positive state of mind? Um, the, uh, the, the, generally speaking, the yogic tradition doesn't seek for a positive state of mind. It seeks for a quiet or a calm or a serene state of mind. Um, because the, um, the positivity is sometimes hard to hold on to um, when it's not realistic. And also positive thinking has been shown uh, in certain research studies to actually not really work that well, that people who positive think all the time have less energy and accomplish less of their goals than people who realistically think and troubleshoot while they think about things. So uh, when you develop a quiet or an even mind, which has equilibrium, samatvam yoga uchate, yoga is said to be equilibrium of mind, then you're able to deal with the ups and downs of life, with the... Um, the dwandwas, the pairs of opposites, in such a way that you're not thrown off and you can respond accordingly. 
Sometimes that might be positive. Sometimes it might be negative. Um, so from a yoga perspective, which is where I, I usually speak from, what we want to be developing is an equilibrious or an even or a quiet state of mind that is able to deal with the ups and downs of life and respond to it in an appropriate fashion. And, um, and therefore, uh, what comes from it is not being having um, a, a positive outlook all the time, which can frankly be annoying to some people. But what you have is um, you have a, a connected and grounded and uh, hopefully loving and caring or compassionate outlook towards change and towards, towards challenge and difficulty. Get too wrapped up in our successes. And you don't want to be too down on yourself for your failures. You know, if, if you have, if you fail, okay, you failed, you try again. If you have a great success, okay, it was successful. Still have to try again the next day. So you don't get too caught up in either success or failure, praise or blame, you know, uh, any of those opposites, hot and cold, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you keep even the best you can. You can enjoy both of those things doesn't mean that you become cold and unfeeling. You're just not completely thrown off by them. So that's where yoga stands on, on that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eddie. Uh, this was really helpful, I'm sure, for so many people out there. This will be uh, made into a podcast. So if uh, all of you listening out there uh, have family members that you want to share this conversation with. Um, it will be available for those of you who have asked for masks. We will be sure to get the source um, from Eddie and share that with you. Uh, I would highly encourage you all to download the breathing app. It really um, is helpful. Uh, and um, and also Eddie's book is wonderful. One Simple Thing, A New Look at the Science of Yoga and How It Can Transform Your Life. Um, I've read it and um, I'm actually reading it a second time uh, because it has that much information in it. But we really appreciate your time, Eddie. And uh, namaste healthy. Uh, thank you. And if I can make one other pitch, um, uh, Jocelyn, my wife, you know her, she teaches an online meditation class, which is free on Saturdays now. Um, so if you go to our website at eddiestern.com and people feel like, you know, they need just a little bit of meditation support or help, they can try her class on Saturdays and it's very accessible uh, and, um, and easy access. So that's something for your folks out there too. Perfect. So that's eddiestern.com. Log uh, on the topic of cultivating spiritual well-being in the time of crisis was Swami Atma Rupananda of the Vedanta Society of Houston, as well as Swamini Swatma Vidyananda of Arshvidya in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next week. Namaste.